We have an annual tradition of Thanksgiving this time of year, complete with a holiday. And sometimes it can feel like it's just a tradition of man, or it can feel like it's just a, an extra time of busyness, or it can feel like an extra, just an extra break time. Depends on your schedule, I suppose, and how many kids you have at Mars Hill. It can even feel meaningless. It can even be that we have grown cynical, forgetting that we have much to give thanks for. But, When King David brought the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, he did something that is interesting for us as we think about the holiday of Thanksgiving. He gave a permanent assignment to Asaph and his relatives of giving thanks to God. That was their job. Permanently. Now, do you think that you could give thanks to God permanently as your job? That would be a wonderful job, wouldn't it? To have the job of dwelling on the things that God had done and to thank Him. To remind others of those things. And to lead them in giving thanks as well by writing songs of praise. To give thanks is to confess something. You know we confess our sins every week, but confess means something more than that. Confess means declare. And so we're Confessing our sins, we're declaring that we are sinners, right? But there are many other things that we confess. We confess that God has done great things for us. We declare it. We remind ourselves of it. We speak of it to the glory of God. And so what are we confessing when we give thanks? Well, we could be confessing, declaring many things to be true. But one of the things that we're confessing is that God exists. I think it was last year in my Thanksgiving sermon that I mentioned how Impossible it is for America today to actually celebrate Thanksgiving when there's no concept of anybody to give thanks to. How could we have a holiday of giving thanks when we don't believe in God in the first place? What is the point? So if you're giving thanks, you're confessing, you're declaring that God exists. You're declaring that He is gracious. That he has done something for us that we don't deserve. So let's not be cynical 
as we hear this reminder from Psalm 107 to give thanks to the Lord. It ought to move us. Our hearts should be connected to this, not just our minds. And so we've already read the psalm, but as I go through this, I'm actually going to read it all again, a couple verses at a time. Listen, pay attention. If you're a child, you can understand this psalm. I want you listening to what it says that you're supposed to do so that you can help your parents remember this week what they're supposed to be doing and what you're supposed to be doing. How does it start? Oh, give thanks to the Lord. So, if you can't remember anything else, remember that Psalm 107 starts with the command to you. You are required to give thanks to the Lord. Every one of you. I don't know if you're 12 or 6, 70. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. For he is good. Does that mean anything to you? Do you believe that God is good? Or have you seen what he has done for you? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. How long is everlasting? Yeah, you got an answer? Lasts forever. Everlasting. Is it everlasting like the everlasting gobstopper? How long does an everlasting gobstopper last for you? Because for me, how long does it last for you, Adelaide? You don't know? How, you don't have, she hasn't had gobstoppers recently enough. Okay, we got, you, got, you guys can take care of that. <laughs> what about, who, who's had a gobstopper this last this last month. Did anybody get any in there? Halloween? You've got, okay, you've got an answer. Go ahead. How long does it last? Oh, so they last. She, she, she makes them last. How long? What do you think? Five minutes for one? A whole class period. One of them? Three. Three in a class period. So that's like, that's like 16 and a half minutes. That's That's pretty long for a gobstopper. For me, they last about 16 and a half seconds. I like to chew them. I know you're not supposed to. They're probably bad for my teeth. Everlasting gobstoppers. That's what they're called, right? Everlasting? Yeah. They're not very everlasting, are they? When the psalmist says that his loving kindness is everlasting, it means everlasting. It just keeps going and going and going and going. And I could do this for the rest of the day and you still wouldn't have even imagined how far going it goes. If you ever tried to think of how long eternity is, of course, I know you're, 
your head explodes if you're anything like me. That's God's loving kindness. It just goes on and on and on and on. And I'm not going to go on and on and on and on today because we got to get to where we can all give thanks, right? Because that's what this psalm commands us to do. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to give thanks. It's a requirement. Our thanks is based on the character of the Lord and the actions he has taken. Because he is good, that's his character, his character is good, and his loving kindness, that's the things that he's done for you and for your parents and your grandparents and your great and the things he'll do for your children and your children's children it just goes on and on that's his loving kindness that's everlasting so it's what his character is it's good and his loving kindness the things that he has done that's what the psalmist bases our giving thanks on and then he describes what God has done that we should be thankful for so he reiterates the command, verse 2, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. This is one of the ways we can give thanks. I've been redeemed. Thank you, God. So say it out loud. I've been redeemed. Ready? I've been redeemed. And how could you say that without then being thankful? He has redeemed us from the hand of the adversary and gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. He's gathered us all together. And that's where we all come from, right? Who's from the farthest east? It's not Scott. You guys are pretty far. I don't know. You guys are further than Tate and Moses. But... I think Mark might have everybody beat. From the, from the east and the west, the north and the south, I think Heidi might be the furthest north. I don't know, anybody further north than Partyville? And who's come up from the deep south? Anybody? Yeah, 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 we got some. Okay. Hasn't God been good in gathering people from all over the world here together today? Have you been redeemed? Have you been saved out of your adversary's hand? Do you have an adversary? You do. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But God has redeemed you out of his hand. Oh, glory. The deeper our state of hopelessness, apart from God taking action, the greater our thanksgiving must be when he saves us. We are a bunch of people God has drawn from all over the place. We had no connection to him. We were in the hands of Satan. And now look. What a beautiful thing he's done. 
And so we give thanks to him. They wandered in the wilderness in a desert region. They did not find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty. Can you guys feel this? Ever watched a movie where there's somebody staggering through the desert? Water. A city. A mirage. Oh, it's just a mirage. Wandering. They see tracks in the ground. I hope those weren't mine. In a desert region. No city. Hungry. Thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses. He led them also by a straight way to go to an inhabited city. It was wonderful. The story ends and it's, and it's happy. It's not ending with the corpse in the desert drying out in the sand, right? It's ending with his people in an inhabited city. When we were separated from God, we were alone. No fellowship. No satisfaction in life. Our lusts consumed us. We constantly needed more. It was never enough. There was no true water. Our souls were shriveled and dry. We felt our need. Have you felt your need? If you haven't felt your need, if you haven't cried out to the Lord... Lord, redeem me, then you really don't have the ability to give thanks the way that the psalmist is calling you to give thanks. And so if you have, if you have felt the desert region in your heart, I don't... I doubt that there's any of you that have actually been stumbling through a desert region physically, right? Anybody ever been wandering in a desert, wondering where you were going to find your next drink? Nobody? Has anybody been on a long car trip where you were so thirsty that you were just, you, you've been really thirsty in a car trip? Yeah. Like, just like, oh, that there's one little piece of ice at the bottom of my cup and I can't get it. I just need something to drink. And, and all I have to do is pull over at the next exit and get something to drink, right? It's not like... And yet we've, we've known thirst. And it's terrible, isn't it? Have you ever been spiritually thirsty? Like you're dying? Like I just... Uh, just a little thing of ice and it's of course when ice melts it's much smaller there's not as much water in there as it feels like there should be but God doesn't God doesn't leave us in a wasteland we feel our need we cry to the Lord hungry and thirsty soul fainting within us He leads us out. He he delivers us. 
to an inhabited city. What is that city? It's not Cincinnati. It wasn't Jerusalem. It's the new Jerusalem, right? We're going to end up in the glorious new city that God is building for us. That Jesus said he's gone to prepare a place for us. And we have it now by faith. We know it's ours. And he's leading us by a straight path to his kingdom. Is that something to give thanks about? It's something I'm thankful for. And so the psalmist points out that we were ignorant of what his city was like. We didn't know what we were missing, really. But he answered, even though we didn't deserve anything good from him. So, verse 8, let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness. He reiterates, he reminds us, see, like, look what, see? Look, this is what Asaph was paid to do, remember. Hey, let's all give thanks today. I've put it to song, so you'll remember it, right? Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. Now, I know there are times when you feel as though you try to feed. He's given you his word. It is food for your soul. Remember, Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, right? And so you, you, you feel your hunger. You feel your thirst, and, and you open the Bible, and, and it's like, I'm still hungry. I, I don't feel fed. I'm still thirsty. I, where is the water? The hungry soul he has filled with what is good. And so, bear with me here for a second. I know I just got done saying, but it doesn't feel like it. Okay, but, but this is declaring an objective reality over and above your feelings. He has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul. He has filled with what is good. He has done wonders to the sons of men. So look around you. When you feel dry, when you still feel hungry, And praise God for the good things that he's given you. He answered with satisfaction. He gave us food and drink, living water and the bread of life. That is Jesus Christ. And you will find him in his word. And so, he who seeks will find he who knocks, he will open the door for. So keep seeking. Keep knocking. 
The Lord will not turn away those who run after him. There were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains, because they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, he humbled their heart with labor. They stumbled, and there was none to help. Now, this example is not one just of ignorance and separation, but of rebellion. So we've gone one step further into the problems of man, right? First, there's ignorance, there's separation. Now there's rebellion. They had rebelled, verse 11. The depth of our hopelessness apart from him is truly scary. Darkness and death's shadow over us. Taken prisoner, chained up. It's rebellion and it is slavery. All at once, right? Imprisoned, chained. The worst sort of slavery. Why? Because of rebellion. The results of rejecting his counsel. Humbling. Him disciplining us by humbling us. And if he isn't there to help us, nobody else can do anything to save us. But praise God, he's there to humble us. That's his gift. That we end up humbled. Now, without spending a lot of time belaboring this point, therefore, how does he humble their heart? With labor. How does labor humble your heart? I'll tell you what it is for me. Labor humbles my heart because I think that I'm strong. And then I start to work. And I think, yeah, I'm strong. And I keep working. I'm strong. And eventually I get to the point where I realize, I'm not strong. Not strong anymore at any rate. You ever been there? Ever had your heart humbled by labor? Stumbled when there was none to help? And then what? What are you going to do? The weight has come crashing down onto you and it is crushing you lower and lower and lower. And, the, and there's no getting out of it. It's not like you can just say, I'm ready to be done with labor. You've got to go through to the end, don't you? All the women are like, uh-huh. And so, you cry out to God, don't you? When you're crushed under the weight of His humbling us under the burden of work, you can't help but realize, I need help. I better pray. Because there's nobody else who can help me. Verse 13, what did they do? Oh, look, 
It says, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. (laughs) You see how this psalm tells a story? It's impossible to go from verse 12. Therefore, he humbled their heart with labor. They stumbled and there was none to help. You know, if it's his enemies we're talking about, then you know what's coming next. And they were destroyed. But he's not talking about God's enemies, is he? He's talking to the saints, the redeemed of the Lord. Let them say so. And so what do they do? They cry out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their bands apart. It's all undone. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Does that sound familiar? Good reminder in the middle. What are you going to remember? What are you kids going to remind your parents of this week? Yeah. Being thankful. It's easy. Whole week is named after it, right? Are you going to be thankful though? You kids going to be thankful? For he has shattered the gates of bronze and cut bars of iron asunder. You ever watched a torch cutting through metal? It's a spectacular process. And God just breaks the bars, moves them asunder. His salvation is complete to those who humble themselves and cry to him. See what he has done and respond with thanks. Fools, uh, now don't be like the fool in, in, when you're when crushed under the weight, right? Fools, because of their rebellious way and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all kinds of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Only a fool rejects what he has done for us. Rejects his loving commands that lead us to life. Our rebellion leads straight to death. We hate the food he offers. Now, if you think you hate the food he offers, yeah, I don't like reading the Bible. Okay. Read it anyway. You know how your vegetables are good for you, so you eat them anyway? Yeah. And what do they do for you? They feed you. They nourish you. So the fool refuses. It's not the fool who says, well, you know, I'm not really feeling the broccoli thing today, but I'll eat it anyway. No, that's the wise man. Verse 19, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. So even the fool cried out to the Lord, right? Eventually. And he saved them too. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Didn't we just read that? No, that was a different verse. Let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his works with joyful singing. We've done some of that today, right? These destructions 
are from ourselves. They are from our rebellion. The distresses are our own making. Yet the salvation is from Him. You know, you might think, well, this, this suffering doesn't really feel like it's from me. Okay, well, not all suffering is because of your sin. Let's be perfectly clear, right? And yet God will still use it to drive you to himself and to his salvation, won't he? How can we respond when we see his salvation? What do you think, kids? How can we respond when we see his salvation? One way would be to What do you think? When you see what God has done for his people, yeah? Give th- what? Give thanks. Oh, that seems entirely reasonable, doesn't it? It's like the psalmist actually isn't just throwing random words, but he's he's thinking coherently. We could give thanks to the Lord with sacrifices of thanksgiving. Sacrifices of thanksgiving. And with joyful singing. What does it mean to give a sacrifice of thanksgiving? When we think of sacrifices, we think of the Old Testament, the animals that would be slaughtered. Your animals were your wealth. Okay, and so to give an animal to the Lord was to give of your wealth. And you could just, you had all kinds of sacrifices that were required. And then there were just, I'm grateful to God. I'm going to offer this sacrifice of thanksgiving. For what has he done? He's done this for me. And so there, it's entirely possible for us to to follow in the footsteps of, of the saints of old by giving of our wealth to the Lord in thanksgiving for what he has done. An offering of praise and thanks to him. But you know, I think one of the most most glorious ways of us offering a sacrifice of thanksgiving is the public nature of speaking what we are thankful for. And that's what we're going to do here in a couple minutes. And with joyful singing. How many of you have ever been in the desert places in your heart and found that listening to joyful singing of God's words from the Psalms have Filled your heart with pleasant, joyful truths. Not happy thoughts, you understand. This is part of what I object to with most Christian radio is that they only offer happy thoughts. Not deep, pleasant, joyful truths. Delightful facts that the Psalms are filled with. The Psalms are realistic. They don't ignore pain. They don't pretend as though suffering doesn't exist. That's what I'm talking about with the music. Right? 
But we give thanks that we can trust in Him in those times where it is darkest. And what is the most pleasant promise? That He will save us if we turn back to Him. Now He tells a story. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they have seen the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For he spoke and raised up a stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. You guys ever seen video of just at the coast, the waves during a hurricane? They rose up to the heavens. The people. You're on a boat. And you're on that water. And the waves go high. You go high. And then the wave passes, and what happens? They went down to the depths. And when you go from the heights to the depths, you ever done that on a roller coaster? Their soul melted away in their misery. Some of you hate roller coasters, and you're like, yes. That was misery. It's much worse than a roller coaster. There's no control. There's no design from man. There's no safety harnesses. When you're on a ship on the water, it's, will we all die? We don't know. We haven't been turned over and crushed yet. Their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man. And were at their wit's end. They tie ropes from one end of the ship to the other so that you can maybe, in your drunken walking, get to where you need to then climb up into the air and change a sail that has broken loose in the violence of the storm and is threatening to destroy the ship. And they were at their wit's end. And so the Lord uses creation to bring himself glory. And what happens? It scares us out of our senses. Storms are amazing. Storms on land are nothing compared to storms at sea. These are the storms of life that rage where we are most vulnerable. I'm not afraid of any of you going to sea and dying in a shipwreck. None of you are sailors to my knowledge. But you all have storms in your life. And some of those storms rage. Like on the sea, not a, not a safe storm or in your house. But where you're out in the elements... That's where you're vulnerable. When we've got nothing to hold on to, where nothing is solid. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. You guys starting to see a theme here of people crying out to the Lord? They cried to the Lord in their trouble. He brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to be still. You guys remember Jesus doing that with the disciples? He made it literal, didn't he? 
And not just with Jesus. Remember when Jonah, they threw Jonah in and they prayed to God, don't hold his blood against us. And, and what happened? He, he made the storm be still. So that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet. So he guided them to their desired haven. So whether our trials come through our disobedience or for some other reason, we know that we can cry out to the Lord in our trouble and he will hear us. How thankful do you think the disciples were after Jesus calmed the storm? And yet they aren't reported as being thankful, are they? What are they reported as? Do any of you kids remember what the Bible says? How did they feel after Jesus calmed the storm? Anybody? Oh, I see some hands over there. Owen? What? Shocked? Not they were shocked. Yes, that is an absolutely accurate, but, but, it, but it says you, there's something about how they were shocked. They were shocked and so they were, yeah, Liam. Yeah, they, they were in awe. They were afraid. You, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? It was a scary thought. They were thankful to be alive, Yes. But they were shocked. They were in awe. They caught that, that, that power displayed by God made them fearful. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Have we read that before? This psalmist seems to be intent on us doing something. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them extol him also in the congregation of the people. Ooh, that is what we're going to do. And praise him at the seat of the elders. He changes rivers into a wilderness and springs of water into a thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who dwell in it. He just, he does things. They're remarkable things. When people are wicked, he responds and he does things. The land that was good is suddenly bad. One of God's kindnesses that is hardest for us to be thankful for is when he makes the wicked suffer in their land because of their sins. Why does the psalmist bring this up? Maybe a better question is, why doesn't our music bring it up? Ultimately, the beauty of God's mercy is seen most clearly in the contrast between his treatment of the wicked and the righteous. Think about the results of godless communism throughout the world. What impact has it had on the people, on the land? 
it's clear that wicked ideas lead to terrible outcomes, right? And we think about this as though God isn't part of it. It's just a natural result. In some ways, it is a natural result, right? But what is going on here is God is destroying the land for the sins of the people. What else does God do? Verse 35, he changes a wilderness into a pool of water and a dry land into springs of water. It's the whole thing in reverse, isn't it? And there he makes the hungry to dwell so that they may establish an inhabited city and sow fields and plant vineyards and gather a fruitful harvest. And he blesses them and they multiply greatly and he does not let their cattle decrease. This is blessing. Isn't it? If there wasn't a clear negative for the land of the wicked, the clarity of the blessing on the righteous would be lost. When they are diminished and bowed down, verse 39, through oppression, misery, and sorrow, he pours contempt upon princes and makes them wander in a pathless waste. But, He sets the needy securely on high away from affliction and makes his families like a flock. The upright see it and are glad. And then what do they do? They give thanks. They give thanks, right? Because they see it and they're glad. But all unrighteousness shuts its mouth. The proud are humbled That's the princes, those who have power, right? The proud are humbled. The humble are lifted up and made secure. The result is that those who are righteous rejoice in what God has done. Both parts. We rejoice that the proud and the wicked have been brought low. And we rejoice... That the righteous and weak and humble and innocent have been raised up. And finally, the unrighteous are silenced by God's true promises being fulfilled. What a joy that will be for all eternity. Who is wise? Verse 43, let him give heed to these things and consider the loving kindnesses of the Lord. So if you've listened, if you've thought, if you've seen, if you've been reminded, if you've remembered the blessings of the Lord, the dry seasons, the droughts, the wildernesses, the cities of refuge, all the things that God has done for you and in you. If you are of the redeemed of the Lord, well then let us say so by giving thanks. Let's pray.